Welcome back everybody to well, the return of the grapple updates. Uh, although before primarily focus on one promotion more than anything else. I am your host, Scott McLeod. Welcome you back to another episode here on the Rogue of Things podcast. Return of the grapple updates, we've not done those in a while. We're gonna primarily be talking about AEW with a uh, Grand Slam and everything's been firing and all cylinders ever since ever since it all out. You know, I wasn't here to talk about all the. There's only so much podcasting and wrestling you can do in a short, short amount of time. But I have to hand the reins over to Rian and quickly learn why Rian and Sam should never be left unsupervised. So Rian is in his room thinking about what he's done. He's not going to be joining us today uh, for this. Instead, it's just going to be myself and no, no nicknames, no, no surnames uh, this week because there's only one Sam here today. It is Samuel Preston? Hello, Sam. Hello there. Welcome back. Welcome back. I would, I would say we missed you, but the fact that it was uh, such a calamity uh, that you had to come back would suggest that you missed us more than we missed you. So welcome back to some degrees. Well done. <laughs> I'm, I'm like that, that guy in your work, like, like the supervisor. Everybody takes the piss out of, as soon as he's not there, shit falls apart. So I, wait, isn't Scott here to do that job? No, he's not. Wait, we. How do we do that job? Wait, can we call Scott and Scott tell us how to do the job? All right, Scott, is this how we've done it? No. Right. Um, I'm off tomorrow. Good luck with cleaning up the mess. Bye. <laughs> pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah, that was. Just, I had to clean it up. And by clean up, I mean I had to edit it into something uh, coherent. Uh, and I'll just say, Rian, if you are listening. No, you're a prick. Anyway, now, I, I wanted to try and put together uh, a eclectic list of subjects here, not just AEW here, but, you know, Sam has invoked some uh, made-up bullshitty rights that apparently his right to, quote, not have to talk about WWE because he's had to put out with it for 20-plus years. Although, if you if you know anything, and I say this as somebody who says they know anything, I just watched about George Carlin last night, Rights do not exist, let alone that one. Rights do not exist, but um, you'd be screwed if you had no lefts. And if you decided to talk about WWE, we all would have left. So this is why you should have listened and talk about AEW more than WWE, because we want positivity, not, oh God, not again. You see, I'm not, I'm not like advocating to prime to talk in depth about it. I don't want to hear your opinions about Raw and every fucking segment here. I just want to talk about certain bits here and there. Like, like we don't have to talk about Extreme Rules because me and Nathan already already covered that. I thought Extreme Rules was a good show up until the end. When hang on, hang on, hang on. I just want to interrupt because you say you don't want to hear my thoughts on every segment, and I'm just like, what is the point of the retro SmackDown review then? Because that is literally having all of my thoughts about every segment, so I'm not accepting that bullshit. <laughs> See, I, I, yeah, I want to hear about it as part of SmackDown. That's part of the show. I don't want to hear about it for Raw because primarily that's for the current day SmackDown, current day Raw. Because well, that's a lot more shit getting crammed into crammed into a show and well there's a quality difference there but I just want to talk about the good bits here that's what the grapple updates may be about like I said until Finn Balor's the weight of Finn Balor's demon dick crushed the top rope Extreme Rules was a good show I felt more like a disappointed parent when I finished Extreme Rules like 
oh, you were doing well, you were doing well. Ah, guys, you fucked it up. You fucked it up right near the end. It's like they can't help themselves, and I think that's one of the reasons why I become more and more reluctant about talking about WWE, because every time I start getting my hopes up and thinking maybe they'll turn a corner, they have um, floppy donkey dip break the turnbuckle and have Bala completely capitulate, which means now the demon has been defeated. So the whole point of the demon doesn't work either. And at this way, what I'm most going to end up having to watch is probably going to be Lashley versus Goldberg, number two, here comes the broken leg or some shit like that. <laughs> I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure "Here Comes the Broken Leg" is the title of Sid Vicious's autobiography. But yeah, but he ain't coming nowhere with that leg. <laughs> I I don't know why they needed to do that. You know, like the demon's been beaten by Samoa Joe, but he beat him with a muscle buster from the top rope, and we all accepted that that was acceptable, even if Balor acts like a demon. So I don't know why you know Roman couldn't have spear him the table or whatever. Again, the issues involved wasn't enough for them. They said to go, oh no, then he fell off and then got speared. But but, they, but everything else on the show I thought was very good. And I talked about that with Nathan on the Extreme Rules uh, review slash drinking game that we did earlier this week. Like, I didn't have much else to really talk about, Debbie. I just wanted to get anybody's thoughts, any positive ones you might have there. Or I just wanted to use this as an excuse to have a platform to talk about why I like, why I love Braun Breaker. Ridiculous spelling of his name aside and the fact that they're not even acknowledging his dad or his uncle, even though he acts like one and talks like the other. I I want him to be NXT champion. I don't care how green he is. I I love him. I mean, the fact that he uh, got a promo on Tomaster Champion, like, I don't care about friends. You want a friend? Go buy a dog. I want to be NXT champion. <laughs> I mean, uh, to be fair, I have heard really positive stuff about Braun Breaker from the sounds of it. Um, he on, he's only been training, I think, for like less than 18 months, is it? He was still in the NFL or something like that. And he seems to be a natural in the ring. I mean, to be fair, coming from uh, his background, he does have natural-born amateur and professional wrestlers who just get the business. And when you look like that and are able to move and wrestle like that, then you're going to feel a little bit special. Um, I'm now curious to hear how, how you feel he compares to the original Brock Lesnar, because they're quite similar in sizes and have amateur backgrounds and, and are relatively green when they're, when they're first brought in but could end up being elevated very quickly to a main championship role. Do you, do you see the similarities or do you think there's enough differences between them or what's your thoughts in regards to that one? We really find out. Yeah, I do think like in terms of vintage, I mean, Brock Lesnar was presented in a slightly different and that he was a lot more dominant. He wasn't having matches right away. Whereas Braun Breaker immediately beats LA Knight in his first night. But, you know, I can see, him them both the reasons for both of them getting pushed in a position that they'll probably both end up in. Like when Brock was pushed up to win the world title by SummerSlam, and I think very soon Braun Baker will be one of the standout players of uh, XT 2.0. And I know XT 2.0 is, is a bit off putting for a lot of people. It's weirdly that it's a, even though it's got so much color, it's the DCEU of uh, of NXT right now, and that so many characters are being pushed at you at once, you barely have time to process what the fuck is going on. Mm. Uh, 
and and it's an hour longer than it should be. And so, but I think if we give it time, I think someone like a Braun Breaker above a lot of other people be stood out as the guy that benefited from this and will be the standout guy of NXT 2.0 because I've always wondered what, because like Scott Steiner is a lot better uh, in the 90s as a wrestler when he had his mullet but wasn't as good a promo. He was a great promo when he was Big Papa Pump. His wrestling quality dipped. I always wondered what could happen if he took early 90s Scott Steiner's wrestling and the promobility of uh, like Blonde hair onwards, Scott Steiner in 98. And now you find what happens when you get that combination. You get Braun Breaker. Which I'm pretty sure at this rate, it just sounds like as soon as Braun Breaker uh, walked into the room, um, Vince McMahon basically started having popping veins in terms of excitement of what could be done here. Um, I'm kind of glad from the sounds of it, he actually has the wrestling to back up. My only worry is is that... um, at the moment, there's a lot of popularity with him and there's a support network behind him. The worry is always going to be is that if he basically gets thrusted into the main event way too quickly, whether or not that could end up having quite a lot of um, uh, backlash. I'd almost be more tempted to have him basically running Riot for, like, say, a year in NXT, getting popular and then challenging for the title when people are getting to the point that they want to see it the most. So it would be like, say, you could have like your next big heel having the championship in NXT, and then he appears. If he if he starts challenging for the title by, like, say, WrestleMania, I think that would be way too soon. But if you got to the following year's WrestleMania, as long as you can keep him strong and pace it well... He could, he could be almost like the saviour to come to the main event scene, and that would be around about the time when probably a lot of the main um, talents in NXT would have moved on to some degrees anyway. I'm, my, it's just, my worry is going to be that they're going to rush it, because mm-hmm. that's what WWE does, and when they do that, they end up ruining what was magical about them. Like I wasn't a fan of Ryback, but... He was very strong and popular. He got pushed way too quickly, and he just then he was never the same after that. And that's my worry: whether or not they end up doing the same thing here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I get why you'd, you'd feel that way, and yeah, they are teasing it heavily right at the minute about a match between him and Champa. No, doesn't mean that he has to win the title. They can find a way to get out, make, make sure they both stay strong and like come back to it later on, or maybe have. Brombeer come back and beat somebody else for it, like somebody whoever beats Champa, like say Pete Dunn. Like have Pete Dunn go on a heel run and then Brombeer's like you said the heel that comes in and you know saves it. But you know, I'm just waiting for the day, even though Scott Steiner cut way more promos than just the math one. I'm just and he's not even his son, but he's a lot he does seem a lot more like Scott than Rick, even though they're both mad bastards. Uh I'm just waiting for the day that Brombeer's booked into some sort of fall way or a multi-man match and talks about what his odds are of winning it. I, I get the feeling that it's going to be something like um, 20 to 25%, or if he's really good, it might be 30 plus. I'm not, I, I might need to go back and do some research on this. I don't know what you think. No, you know, being somewhat related to a genetic freak, his odds do dramatically go up. But then his dad has the face of a dog grandma or whatever. So his dad slightly go down. Even then, they're much higher than somebody else's. The numbers don't lie. But anyway, 
Uh, that's really anything I wanted to talk about NXT or WWE wise. You know, as the draft going on, uh, we're recording this on a Monday, so we haven't seen the second night of the draft. But you know, I don't want to really talk about the draft when only one night has happened. Even though I don't think it's any difference, I like to hold hope that something big will happen tonight. Even though I just found out earlier today, like he said, "Oh yeah, but the draft, some of these draft ones don't take effect until after Crown Jewel." I oh well, we forgot that we we're going to book Bianca in a triple threat for the SmackDown belt before we decided to book to put her over to Raw. I mean, it's it's so unlike them to not plan far ahead and decide to hot shot something. It's obviously very disappointing to see. Um, I'm I have to admit that I there has to be something really big to occur for the WWE draft to interest me because I remember the days of where it was purely like new, um, someone going to somewhere new. There was no, Oh, this person stays here, which is what Mm -hmm. quite a few of the ones recently have been. And that achieves nothing in my eyes and just ends up being um, very underwhelming. And the other thing is that I'm not going to lie. I'm already annoyed that straight after they put New Day together again, they split them up, and it's just like the sort of thing where you think to yourself, "I am not even surprised," because just when you start looking forward to getting to see New Day together again, uh, Kofi and Xavier supporting Big E as champion, it's like, "Wow, we can't be having any of that." That would mean that the fans would actually enjoy watching the three of them so they have to split them up and that just is very indicative of what i'm expecting from the draft the the splits or decisions they'll make will be ones that i question and then the rest of it will be oh let's make a big deal out of the fact that this person has stayed exactly where they were before like me and nathan talked about on the extreme rules show how they said on contrary oh there's no team with tight net as the new day you know what if they get separated in the draft and we were like, they recently only just came back together after being separated in last year's draft. And uh, so and we thought the fact that they even mentioned it, thought, oh, that's them like indicating it's probably not going to happen. If you have mentioned it, then it probably doesn't happen. And then it did happen, so it shows what I know. But I'm wondering what Biggie's even going to be doing for the next couple of months as champion, because also you can expect probably a match with Reigns at, Summer, at Survivor Series with the whole Ross Smackdown thing that they keep doing. But you know, the New Day aren't around them, so the New Day bloodline kind of, they can kind of do it if they used to stay on SmackDown between and then like the tag team sense, but you know, it's not going to happen in our brand way that we thought it was going to happen. Uh, Drew came out to indicate he wanted to challenge uh, Biggie, which I thought, oh, that makes sense. You know, he couldn't fight Lashley as long as Lashley was champion, so Lashley's lost his rematch. So, of course, Drew would come out and want a challenge for the title. And then he gets drafted to SmackDown. And uh, he's also clearly done with Bobby Lashley, and Lashley's off to fight uh, Goldberg over you know, the honour of his son. Uh, but what the fuck is Biggie going to do then? Because I, I legit have forgotten about anybody on Raw at the minute that's currently a thing. Uh, unless you want to include Keith Bear, Cat Lee, but I think it's a bit too soon for Keith Lee. I, like, let him, I, I do like the idea of him just being a monster, whether, whether that's a phase or he let him squash people for a while. Hell, have him win King of the Ring. Because I, I just find it hilarious to have him introduce this. Please welcome King Bearcat. This is like an anime a Saturday morning cartoon villain. That is very true. Um, but I, I have to admit, I do. I would prefer to see Xavier Woods win King of the Rain because of the fact that it's, it's always been something that he seems to have very close to his heart, wanting to be a part of. And also, 
it'll allow him to stand relatively separate from Biggie and Kofi and possibly be the start of him going on to do Soink himself, hopefully in the future, because he also deserves an opportunity to be champion because he is one of the most underrated wrestlers in the in WWE. It's actually ridiculous how underappreciated he is. But I reckon most likely at this rate, it's going to turn out that Big E's pro- probably big first title defense might be against someone like AJ Styles, who is always reliable, who can easily be taken from the mid card into the main event scene without looking at a place and always does a fantastic job. Just look at when AJ was less than four months into WWE and was put in a main event with Roman Reigns two months on the trot because they knew they could rely upon him. So out of everyone on Raw, which I am guessing who is still on there at this rate, I'm assuming that AJ is still one of them and he would be a really good option for Big E as his first major title defense. I could see that, yeah, I definitely can see that as a possibility because, like, your other main contender, I think, is Orton, but he's, you know, in the tag scene for the foreseeable future. Uh, you know, I do love a draft as well, but, you know, even my interest in draft has really waned over the last few years. But even though I hold out hope that something big will happen on Raw that, you know, that, that gets people talking in a positive way, that is. You know, last last year's draft, the 2021, I think, was a a low point for me in terms of my love of draft. I think I was on here and I grabbed what this was Jimmy and Nathan and I, we were, I was just shitting all over it. So it's like, part of it is the old so-and-so is staying here. So don't tell me then. I don't want to hear about every single person. Like, if I get, I mean, it, I mean, it helps that I can't really remember where people are at the best of times. But like, just tell me the people who are moving. And if anybody isn't announced, I'll say, oh, okay, if I see him on Raw, I'll assume he was already there and he's staying. If not, I'll assume, ah, he's staying on SmackDown. And vice versa. You know, I think I can I can figure that out. I mean, it's already better than last year's thing, because one positive has come out of it that Mason T-Bar was split up, and T-Bar is already going back to Dominic Dijakovic, and he's on the same show as Keith Lee. So, you know, there's a silver lining. There is a silver lining, but um, at this rate, it's probably more likely what will end up happening is that they will just never wrestle ever again except for free house shows and then everyone would be like uh we should just get rid of t-bar because he's no good anymore because you know god forbid they actually use what works for them i mean keith lee's gone from being um one of the most charismatic wrestlers with a tremendous big man style mixed with bits of um cruiserweight style into just a bear cat in a leotard so my hopes are there, but my expectations are not. Basically, I mean, I mean, this is I, I don't I, I get the names a bit weird. I mean, anything that gets Biggie a, a Biggie a Keith Lee, anything that gets Keith Lee a push is good for me. So I'm I'm giving it time, and you know, it's his idea. So I don't know why everyone's like, oh, Nikki's severe thing. We should give that time because it's it was her idea, but then immediately shit on Bearcat, even though it's Keith Lee's idea. It's been almost to an actual like wrestler from the fifties. But like you know, and anything I think this might work out better than Nikki Cross is one because uh, oh Nikki's idea, we should give it time, at least she's coming up with her own ideas. Yeah, how well is that superhero gimmick working out for you, Nikki? You're in the women's tag division. And we all know that's the prime position to be in the main roster women's division. But, 
I yeah, knew it was going to be. Case. I knew that. I knew that was going to be shit. <laughs> it's like just in case you ever need a reminder of that you're going nowhere. You'll be partnered up into a tag team and with your enemy, most likely, which is who you always seem to end up being tag teamed with, which is just repetitive at this rate. But it's unsurprising. I just. <sighs> See, this is why I said we shouldn't talk about WWE because all it does is end up depressing me because it's always like the hope just ends up dying so often when I try watching it. So I'm thinking like all of these possible positives, such as like uh, Finn Balor did tremendously well in his match with um, Roman Reigns. You've got Roman Reigns doing some tremendous work at the moment as well. You've got Edge rolling back the years. You've got... Um, several tremendous superstars all being involved, and yet it's always going to end up being the wrong decisions that become synonymous. And WWE is pushing more than ever about the fact that they're all about making moments. Um, And I'm I'm getting to the point now where I'm always tempted to say the moments aren't worth what we have to sit through, which is what we end up talking about is what lets us down. So... It just be- ends up becoming more and more of a depressant and a, a area of wrestling that doesn't get me excited, doesn't make me want to watch it. And sports entertainment now is something that I have no interest in because it keeps on disappointing me. So looking at NXT, Raw, SmackDown, the draft, it pretty much is all... Um, emphatically representative of everything I've had to sit through for the last 20 plus years. So thank you for being, for serving <laughs> this uh, plate of depression for me. Much, much appreciated, my dear man. I mean, again, I, I like to talk about all the different aspects of wrestling, not just focus on one promotion as part of the grapple updates. That's what the grapple updates are about. Uh, and again, you only have to talk about moments here and there for some promotions you don't have to go into as much steps so i thought at least a mention of it and you didn't want to talk about it i got a good 20 minutes out of you and for me that's an accomplishment and would you rather the alternative we talk about AEW first and then finish on this because honestly if you did i would probably cut myself so oh i would just have had it that we would have talked about all of AEW. then you would have gone wait it's time to talk about WWE, and i'll go oh i'm sorry my dinner's ready and then leave you to talk to yourself but um thank you for lulling me into a false sense of um of anticipation uh discussing the disappointments of wrestling just before we move on to what is inevitably going to be hopefully awesome Hey, I don't even watch full WWE and full anymore. I, I survive on YouTube clips. It's not as if I'm clamoring to talk about it in depth. But, uh, I'm, but I am looking forward to Crown Show because it'll either be a decent show and a morally ambiguous country or it'll be a train wreck, both of which will be entertaining. Uh, and I'm looking forward to Queen's Crown and King of the Ring. I have some ideas where I think you should be winners of that. And maybe you'll see that soon in written form from me. Stay tuned for that. I, I, I stay tuned to anything you write because I'm still waiting for you to complete other articles. Well, maybe certain articles are physically impossible. Maybe <laughs> ideas physically cannot enter this brain. So Then that brain is a yourself. disappointment. It's a disappointment. Is that, it's either that or you have to do a PowerPoint presentation on it. Yeah, 
because an audio PowerPoint presentation is always effective. YouTube video time. You, you can start off um, rogue opinions on YouTube. It will be the um, your. It will be your rogue opinions because it's you are rogue opinions. So you rogue opinions. There, boom. Begin uh, it. I, I hope people are ready for the shortest PowerPoint presentation in human history. If that's the case, but there you go. I th oh. So we just mentioned one or two small bits. There's only real key bits worth talking about. You know, I look forward to Queen's crown especially because as much as that triple threat really doesn't mean anything with Bianca being on Raw, I think it'll be a good match. And the fact that that the Queen's crown is going to happen on Saudi Arabia as well. The fact that there's even, there's two women's matches potentially in the same Saudi show. That's that's definitely something worth talking about. But we move on to AEW. Uh, specifically, the main thing that's been happening EW Grand Slam and Arthur Ashe Stadium in New York, or just outside of New York to hear Taz talk about it, but I try not to listen to Taz half the time. Uh, I, I remember watching this and looking at the venue and thinking, well, this is mainly used for things like the US Open and things like that. And I wonder why has wrestling never been here before? And I was actually listening to the podcast where Andrew Zarian was on it. And it went to a much longer like explanation of it. I took very little of it in, but apparently I think it was a whole thing between the people running it where basically it led to the venue only being used like once a year where like for like the US Open and then just being abandoned for the rest of the year. So this is pretty much the main thing that's happened in this venue other than US Open. So I do think 20 kind of ever helped put this together. And I hope to see more wrestling in this venue because you know, it's being wasted if it's just being used for the tennis. I agree. I think um, the setup of the stadium was perfectly suited. You have all the fans nearly on top of what's occurring. It's a very close, intimate um, setting, and it just helps with the atmosphere tremendously. Um, it, it says something when, like, um, that even though the fans probably nearly exhausted themselves just with the first match on the first night, there was still enough of having everyone on top of each other that they can get still invested. And if that's a rarely utilized stadium, then the slate is clean in terms of what can be done there, what memories can be made and getting to see AEW really create their own home uh similar to like ecw with the hammerstein ballroom that sort of thing the one where you have the big events occur there and you get that anticipation because of what you've already seen and also there's a surprising amount of wrestlers who seem to have a connection with that location so therefore i think getting to see as many events hopefully in new york as possible will be a great um Impact statement from AEW. Yeah, because like, and then I said before that like Chicago basically seems like an AEW territory. New York isn't far off as well because both are really strong wrestling cities, and AEW's giving them quality wrestling. So of course they're like jumping on the train and getting behind them. Uh, but like AEW did like three weeks in a row, not just this show. Like the week before they were in New Jersey, the following week they were in Rochester, home of. Uh, uh, the late John Huber, Brody Lee, and 
uh, they've announced in December they're going to come their first show in Long Island, which is where MGS from, and I'm pretty sure he's still going to get booed out of the building. Because uh, even his own parents came this past week with a sign that said, "Even we think he sucks," <laughs> which, I, which I just loved. And he just and MGS told his own mum to fuck off on Twitter, uh, which is spectacular. But you know, I think you know AEW. I think Arthur Ashe could definitely be the home of AEW in New York. Like, could be basically their MSG. Because I think the Bucks said before that there was an idea at one point to maybe try and get the first episode of Dynamite to be in MSG, but that never happened. And I think even though WWE, like, they recently did a TV uh, recently with uh, SmackDown, but before that was primarily a live event venue over the last few years. So WWE always try to have a connection with MSG and they'll make sure nobody else can really use it for us. And so they can basically make this their MSG and I believe they've only already announced I think it's St. Louis maybe, uh, or it's, it's going to be where Full Gear happens in November but I could definitely see this happening this being a venue for like Revolution because it feels as much as it gives a as much as it gives a big attitude for a, t- a TV it has to be used for a pay at some point and it has to be a Full Gear or a Revolution because you know, Double or Nothing or All Out have got the kind of like their fixed locations like all it will always be in Chicago and double or nothing, unless there's a pandemic on, will always be in Las Vegas. I think the fact that they have this possibility of cementing themselves in such a location is an opportunity that would be a mistake to pass up. Um, considering how tremendously well it went performing in the Arthur Ashe Stadium, then don't change it. Don't mess around with it continue and utilize it and become even more popular especially because of the fact that new york is one of those locations that if they're unhappy with what you're putting on they will fucking tell you (laughs) whereas here they're more than excited to actually be involved and get and get cheering and if you can keep that um that sincerity in terms of how much the fans are into what you're presenting then it's gonna be just as obvious on television on pay-per-view and it's gonna connect with fans even more and it's gonna make it look like the hottest fucking show on the planet and that's what they have to do Mm -hmm. although i think uh, if they are going to come back here some work uh, needs to be done because you know I think the fact that this has primarily been used for the tennis and no other like major events, and I think there'll probably be maybe more people here than that maybe would be for the tennis. Uh, Andrew Zarian was at the show and he talked about how basically the the staff like the concessions and that uh, weren't really ready for that many people like to be in the venue. So also there were some issues with lanes and that. Like apparently some people like concessions missed like majority of the opening match with Danielson Omega, which which I think would be a prime reason for many people to even go to the show in the first place and also get to get them miss out. Like Andrew Zarian said, somebody a few seats along him got up to go to the concessions or go to the stand or wherever it is uh, just before Dynamite officially started and he didn't come back until the start of the Punk promo. So that's like half an hour this guy's been gone. So it's going to be a thing where like they need to be like prepared for, if they're going to, if either we go run here again, they need to prepare the venue staff for the amount of people that are going to be there yeah i there's obviously not everything was perfect and it's unfortunate that one of the main reasons why a lot of them would have gone to see it which would be the danielson versus omega match got missed due to the lack of preparation from arthur ash but that's where 
Arthur Ashe need to learn from the situation and um, be able to do better. Uh, the same with AEW. They may need to be better prepared for those situations and work around it. Even if they started having like a baseball style influence where you could have someone actually walking around, actually giving out um, prizes and that sort um, and food and drink and that sort of thing. So that the fans aren't going to miss these big moments because it's not going to be the sort of show on a regular basis where you can go, oh, this match is my piss break match. You know, anything could be important or vital or shocking or just plain awesome. And you can't afford to take that chance. And I have to admit, if I had it that I went to go and get some food and drink and I came back and found out I missed Danielson versus Omega, I think I'd be absolutely fucking fuming and demanding a refund from Arthur Ashe. Not from AEW, but from Arthur Ashe for their lack of... Um, preparation and that sort of thing but then again once i'm sat down i'm very unlikely to go to get food or drink because i'd be worried about missing something like that but if that's how loud the stadium was when they had so many people probably stuck trying to get food and drink can you imagine if all of them were ready yeah i mean you know, I think like smart people go and get their drink and everything and go to dance as soon as you get in the venue and then take it to your seat because I wouldn't want to get up and risk missing, missing anything. But if I was at the, the stands uh, before the show and I heard Daniel Bryan and that's music kitten, I think it's probably better coming back because uh, I don't see this queue moving, so I'll come back after this match. Uh, even though there were very few in terms of like, filler matches on Dynamite, I'm sure there are matches you probably wanted to see less. Uh, then I was in, the one you want to see the most would be the, the opener. So, yeah, I'd, I'd go back to my seat. Like, if I was sitting there and I really knew the toilet at the 10-minute mark, I'd hold it. So I think some people may have just been, like, worth giving up on the lines and gone back to their seat. But I'm sure they could probably hear the crowd or that uh, if you're at the stands. Because, like, for with most venues, especially for the wrestling, if you're at the stands, you can still hear stuff that's going on inside, like, basically, like, crowd reaction. Mm. Well, I'm just looking. Uh, I was I was just looking at the actual um, information about it, and the thing is, is that there were three matches prior to the Kenny Omega Brian Danielson match, which were for future episodes of AEW Dark Elevation. You're telling me that there was no point where you thought to yourself, right, Paul White is out in the ring against <laughs> three wrestlers. Maybe this is time to go get my fucking popcorn and my beer. Instead, you decide to wait until AEW Dynamite is actually starting. And you go, I think this is a good time to go get some food and drink. Because it's not like AEW has a habit of starting off with big matches, is it? So I should be absolutely fine going to get food or drink. And then you come back half an hour later and see like, Kenny Omega and Brian Danielson leaving the ring, and you go, "Are you shitting me?" <laughs> yeah, so, and it's weird because like Rampage was taped this week because I think uh, I made sure to avoid, but other people trying to post links to spoilers, like they would tell you the results of the, the matches on Rampage. So, but that was two hours. So, what's weird is like how loud you actually hear people like during the main event of Rampage, which was the lights out match, and you go, "Think, yeah, they've watched three probably short matches for elevation two hours of two hours of a uh, of dynamite which includes a 30 minute draw and uh, a title match in the main event 
and then CM Punk's first TV match, and then by the time the Lights Out match comes on, people are still that loud. So I think it says something about, well, the AEW fans, but also New York in general, for how loud they can be. But talking about the opening match, we've obviously already mentioned it, but yeah, Danielson versus Omega, they opened with it. Much like Punk opening the the Rampage where he returned and the fact that he and Hobbs opened the Rampage Grand Slam, I think, again, it was a smart decision because it's weird, you're almost given what probably should be the main event out first because it stops people from wanting the uh, the waiting for that thing. Like, I'm not listening to pay attention to this because I'm waiting for this thing to come on later on. So given that right out, out the gate, and also that means that Ruby and Britt Baker can pro- prominently take the this spot because I don't really think the Wins title has really been featured in a main event slot nearly as much as it should. So the fact that it may have vented in front of the biggest crowd that Dynamite's actually gotten so far, that was a benefit. So that's probably why it was smart to open with Brian V. Kenny. I agree. I think um, AEW has shown in the last couple of months especially that now that they have these relatively huge names, they're going to utilise them in a very clever manner in that they will be in the first couple of matches, usually, if not the opening match itself, in order to get audiences um, like all up and involved, etc. And then the last match will normally be ones that are putting over relatively youthful members or ones who are less recognized, people like... Jungle Boy, for instance, or Britt Baker, or Ruby Soho, or individuals like that who need the rub of the main event much more. So I like the style that AEW seems to be going for with that, and I feel it's definitely one they need to keep to, because what they're saying is that, yes, these are huge matches and worthy of main eventing, but... We also have faith in our in our youth that they are worthy of the main event. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. And I think they did a smart job with the way they presented Brian VK. They took their time, you know, and Kenny's used to go in the distance with the history in New Japan. And Brian is also the exempt because uh, he was wrestling matches with Zixim at that time. That's back in his Ring of Honor days, everything. And... Clearly, they don't want to put the belt on Brian so soon, even though he probably will be a future AEW champion. And Kenny obviously can't lose the belt yet. And it wasn't a non-title match, but also if Brian won, then people would be like, well, and Kenny went on to fight somebody else. People would be asking, well, why didn't Brian get a title shot if he won the match? So by going to the 30-minute draw, then also you've kept both men looking strong and you have something to pick up on later on. And obviously, if Kenny goes in a feud with somebody else, well, then you, can, you can't say that Brian deserves it much shot any more than whoever he goes in a feud with, because Brian technically didn't beat him. And Kenny can always hold that one, like, you see the best, but I, I lasted with you, you couldn't beat me inside the 30 minutes. And I'm actually amazed that it's taken this long for AEW to do a time limit draw. Because I think they've teased it in the past, but I don't really think they've done a time limit draw until now. And I thought like this is probably going to be the best outcome they can do is to have a time limit draw. But I didn't think they'd actually do it because it's thirty minutes on live TV, and like that can be really hard to find, especially when you've got so many other big matches on the show, like the take the one day or the tag match with Sting and everything. So I was really worried how that was going to affect the rest of the card. They did go thirty minutes because how often have you heard that oh so and so segment was cut because of time constraints or 
oh, we're running short of time, so so-and-so's match got cut from 10 minutes to 7 minutes. Yeah, I mean, we've heard a recent example where for the uh, mem- uh, memorial episode of SmackDown for 9-11, uh, Selena Vega had her match completely cut, even though she's been one of the ones who has been most on display due to her personal and emotional connection to 9-11 with her dad. Um, and yet you get a situation like this where you got a half-hour match being dedicated to two of the best wrestlers and there's almost like a confidence that they they can time it, they can get it just perfectly. Um, and they've spent all this time building up a possibility that there can be time limit draws. I mean, the only major one I think I can remember, well, there's two. There's two I can remember. There's the obvious one with Cody and Darby Adam, which happened in a 20-minute match, not 30. But then there's also the time limit remaining draw that occurred between John Moxley and Pac several, year, uh, several years back. But the fact that both of those have happened previously means that when this draw occurs, the fans aren't going to feel shortchanged because they know that it is a distinct possibility and it's a result that puts over both wrestlers. You have Brian Brian Danielson, who's one of the best wrestlers in the world and has been for the last 20 years. And yet his first match with Kenny Omega, Kenny Omega survived. But then you can also say on the other side, Kenny Omega has been the biggest champion of the last 12 months or whatever. He's been uh, AEW champion, AAA champion. He's been Impact champion. And yet in his first match, Danielson was good enough to be able to take him to a time limit draw. And it puts both of them over even more by the fact that they were such equals. Neither of them lost, so none of them were harmed. But by neither of them winning, they both looked better than they already were. And it gives you that possibility of what can happen afterwards. I have my own theories on what could possibly happen or that I would like to see happen. But I feel booking wise, they could not have done it more perfectly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you got to see, say to, to both guys, you haven't got to see in a while, like Brian was busting him as he hasn't used any of like the, the regal plex and the, the cattle mutilation oh. like that. Uh, the fact that he took that bump on the uh, that bump on his neck on the uh, the screen on the ramp, which I always like it when the ramp goes up to the ring. But that's what nasty and like Brian even told stories about how it's spots like that Vince wouldn't let him do because hopefully saw he was concerned about Brian's history of injuries. Like apparently Brian took a spot that looked a bit too risky when he nearly landed. He said in a match with Drew Gulick, and as soon as he got through Gulick, Vince was on like, "What the hell are you doing? Like, I need to think about your neck and all that." Uh, so like weird how he's immediately taken spot than his first AEW match and also allowed for Omega to do that spot, the running along the ramp. You could tell he was making sure he didn't fall uh, and do the V-trick because if he fell, people would have let him know that he fucked up, especially in New York. <laughs> but even though, honestly, this is a time of draw and I think they're probably going to come back to it, I don't think these two should have another singles match until after Kenny wins, loses the title and then Brian should use a win over Kenny to then put himself into the title picture again. Mm. Uh, even though they are going to be meeting as on opposite ends of an eight-man tag on this week's Dynamite, which is billed as the anniversary episode of Dynamite, uh, where it'll be Brian teaming with Luchasaurus, uh, Luchasaurus, Jungle Boy, and Christian Cage against Kenny, Adam Cole, and the Bucks. 
No, I'd even say uh, for Daniel Bryan for now, I'd say use this to put a thing between him and Adam Cole as the two new signees and have Cole versus Bryan at full gear. So, um, it looks like now that Brian Danielson's going to start working from the bottom up, and that's probably a good idea because it gives him space from Kenny Omega and allows the story with Kenny Omega and his title to continue. I think we're going to get to a point where um, the most likely next big match for um, Danielson is going to be a technical match versus maybe someone like Jungle Boy or even I'd love to see him have a match with someone like Christian. Two, mm-hmm. two sort of wrestlers who are very good at telling a story. And if he, if Daniel, if um, if Daniel go, Danielson goes o- goes over against them, they're not damaged for it. But it continues building story about what he can possibly be, or, I mean, the dream for me, I have to admit, this is something that I'd love to see would be um, Brian Danielson versus Pac. I mean, that at full gear, that alone would be worth all my fucking money. I would just, <laughs> I would just throw cash at Fight TV and be like, "Yes, show it to me, show it to me now," and then like anything else on top of that would just be a positive. But that is the sort of match that would have me going, "Yes, I want to see it because they can, they would do such magic together." But that's the interesting element is the fact that we don't know who Danielson could face, and that's more interesting because of it. I mean, for all we know, he could end up having like a. 15 minute British round style match with Daniel Garcia. And we're like, yeah, I could see that. That sounds legit. And that's the fascinating element of it. Um, Definitely curious to see where Danielson comes, goes from here. I do think that there's going to be at least two more matches with Omega. And I have my own theories on how I think that should go, but that's going to probably be something for a future article on WrestleJoy. Mm. Uh, harmless and uh, selfish plug there, obviously. Oh, just, just teasing us, teasing us there, aren't you? Aren't you? Yes. <laughs> but, but speaking of Christian, uh, I know not enough people out there watch Impact as they should, but Christian is obviously defending his Impact Championship Bound for Glory against Josh Alexander, one of my favourite wrestlers going today. Mm. And like, every time I see if it's somebody coming to Impact to the Forbidden Door and they ask me, who do you think remember this should face I always say Josh Alexander there's nobody no matter what still he can't have a good match with he's like Canadian Kurt Angle is the best way I can describe Josh Alexander yeah uh, so him versus Brian Daniels at some point would be amazing but they've already been teasing a match uh, for Brian through the forbidden door as uh, Zack Sabre Jr. keeps you know, on like uh, he's been doing very well in the G1 and he beat Shingo Takagi the current IWGP world champion and he says well and he's post-match constant well, that's the Japanese dragon taken care of. I wonder where the American dragon is. See, I would love to see it. That I still think Zack Sabre Jr. Um, deserves an opportunity as the in the main event of New Japan. And if they were going to have any British wrestler be a main event superstar for New Japan, I would much prefer him than Will Ospreay. Personally, I feel that Zack Sabre Jr. is a better wrestler and a better storyteller. And if he became 
uh, IWGP Unified Champion. And then you had it that Danielson shows up to challenge him and you can have Zack Sabre Jr. versus Brian Danielson and like maybe even like the fucking Tokyo Dome or something like that. Dave Meltzer would basically just be like, here is my box of stars. Take as many as you'd like and come back to me for more. <laughs> and I'd just be like, I want to see this. Because can you imagine like a Tokyo Dome main event with two of the best technical wrestlers? No, D, probably D2 best, I would go so far as to say, um, because of the fact that they are both the major champions of the Technical uh, Wrestler of the Year Award. It was named after... Dan, um, Brian Danielson, and then he hasn't had it for several years because Zack Sabre Jr. has basically wrapped it up. And I'm, sw- I swear, there was actually um, um, when he was talking about facing Zack Sabre Jr. He's like, he's been, he's had my actual award for several years now. I want the fucking award back. So <laughs> that, that is like I want to see. Um, but I also want to say I agree with you and Josh Alexander being a fantastic talent. And he was actually my pick for who should beat Kenny Omega for the Impact Championship. And I actually did say when I was discussing it at the time that I thought it would be it would work really well for him to cash in option C. It turns out he did cash in option C and he is challenging for the championship, but it's against Christian instead. And why it may not be Kenny Omega, I have to say, I think Alexander and Christian could do some magic in the ring. I think they would perfectly suit each other so much. And I just want to see that match so much and see Alexander become a main eventer because I feel he is probably one of the best, almost homegrown talents that Impact currently have. Yeah, I've been thinking of some stuff article I want to do, and like one of them is like I want to do like my MVPs of the year. I was going to do a WWE list and a non-WWE list, and it's going to be I'm going to be hard pressed to find somebody uh, who can be who I can put as my number one non-WWE MVP other than Josh Alexander, because for me he's just done everything right over the last year, and like the way he's carried the X Division title, he's turned it into basically Impact's version of the Intercontinental title, and that he's used it elevated it, been a workhorse and then fairly presented himself, prepared himself for the main event and to be a believable world champion. So I'm I'm looking forward to seeing that, you know. I don't get a chance to talk about Impact a lot on this show, so uh, I I take advantage of it anytime I can. But we talked about what Daniel Bryan's future, or Bryan Danielson, you you know who I'm talking about, what his future might be. When you talk about Kenny Omega's future, because his next challenger will be determined on this Wednesday Dynamite and the return of the Casino Ladder Match where you'll have seven men. You'll have Lance Archer, Matt Hardy, John Moxley, Orange Cassidy, Andrade El Idolo, Pack, and a mystery joker yet to be revealed. Now, you got to think this person, whoever wins it, whether it's Joker or anybody else, has to be the challenger for Full Gear because you got six episodes of Dynamite until Full Gear, including this Wednesday's one. Do I think the, rev- the person wins the opportunity and then you start the build uh, feel gear now because, you know, AEW do like to present things far in advance, but I think, even though it might seem early to some people, I think this is a perfect time to start at least building towards feel gear. And I know you might have similar thoughts to me and some other people might say that, but to me, there's nobody else that can be the Joker except for Hangman Page. I think that 
it's too perfect an opportunity for it not to be him. Um, obviously, he's been off for quite a while since I think it was, um, was it September, beginning of September, um, for paternity leave. And I think it may have been uh, mid-August because Christian won the... Uh, won the impact title like a couple of weeks after Hangman was last seen and then he defended it on the August Impact Plus special. So that's maybe in mid-August. You might be right, actually. You might be right. It wouldn't surprise me. And I think what I always had it that I felt that the main story that had to be told about Adam Page was not going to be about beating Kenny Omega. It was about coming to terms with failure, which was the main thing that I was discussing about when it came to his possible opportunity. And that's why to me, it made a lot of sense that at hope at, um, at fight for the fallen, he actually lost because he had to come to terms with failing because when it happened previously, that's when he started to fall. Whereas now it feels like he could, he could fail and it doesn't matter. He still had the support from dark order. He he went away, which I think was obviously for his, um, his storytelling wise could just be because he was beaten up um, too much and that sort of thing. But it was the fact that he didn't allow it to stop him now. Mm-hmm. And now he's ready to go that next step to beat Kenny Omega. Um, and what's interesting is that during the time that Paige has been away is when we've been introduced to CM Punk, Danielson, Adam Cole, all of these big stars who could have possibly overshadowed Paige whilst he was, if he was still on TV. But lately in the last week or two, his name has started being chanted again. The excitement of, I would say the excitement of like Danielson, Punk and Cole has subsided, but it's now, even though the fans are still excited to see them now that over the excitement to it enough that they can start cheering for, hangman page again and this is where it becomes perfectly timed because page is starting to be missed and people want him to come back and Mm -hmm. it it would make sense more than anything and there's a legitimate reason where he could have it that because of the fact he was beaten up and because of the fact that he supposedly lost his opportunity the whole point of the joker is for a shock opportunity it could be tony khan basically saying Here's your one opportunity. If you fail, you never get another shot at Kenny Omega. And that's what will make it so vital and so important. And I think the emotion of Hangman Page winning the ladder match would be so good that it just, it can't can't not happen because it's perfectly poised. However, I am curious to hear from you if it doesn't happen. Who do you think it could possibly be? I think there's going to be an, going to be an expectation that it, that it will be Hangman Page. It's going to be in Philadelphia, by the way, so another hardcore wrestling fan say so. If they have an expectation, we've seen before, if they have an expectation of something and don't get it, they can be ruthless. So mm. like, if, if anybody but Hangman Page comes out and, and the people want it to be Hangman, whoever comes out could end up being like when Rey Mysterio was number 30 back in 2014. And they could get shit on Burrs. If they do Hangman Page, it's an opportunity for them to see if the fans were willing to wait. And if they were, if they are still into the idea of him being the guy 
when he comes back, if he gets the response they want him to, and I think they will, then it shows that, yeah, we, we were willing to wait. We are. We still want you to be the guy to beat Kenny. Because, yeah, like, when, also since he's left, we've had the Dark Order start to fall apart, but and everybody thought he was going to come back last week and help them in the hometown of Brody Lee, but instead it was actually Brody Lee's family that brought them back together, which I actually think makes a lot more sense. Mm-hmm. And also in the, since they've left, the elites kind of gotten stronger, even though Kenny's lost one of his belts and the Yomit lost the tag belts. They've added Adam Cole in, so yeah, and the Elite have been getting some wins recently, uh, with like the Super Click, you know, against Jurassic Express and Christian Cage on Rampage and things like that. So the Elite have almost gotten stronger, and the Dark Order slightly weaker since he's been gone. So I'm coming back, reuniting with the Dark Order, and then having some more multi-man matches against like the Super Click or whatever, and the lead up to Full Gear. This gives you plenty of time to re bring us back into the story you were telling, get us even more invested than we already were, and maybe they should have Don Kells come out and add the stipulation that. If Kangman loses, he gets no more opportunities. And I think that would make sense. And also, you know, it'd be kind of fitting if he was the Joker and won this opportunity because it was mentioned when Ruby uh, Soho came out as the Joker in the Women's Battle Royal and won it, that before her, only a couple of people had been the Joker and won, and one of them was Hangman Page. He won the first ever Casino Battle Royal to earn his spot all out initially. He failed. That set him on this whole path that he's been on for since the beginning of AEW. The only other person other than him and Ruby to win a Joker thing is in the first ever casino ladder match where Brian Cage was the mystery person. He won. Mm. So, like, he's got president. It's only happened a handful of times, but it would be interesting if Hangman came back. Not only would he be the first person to be the Joker and win in both the ladder match and the Battle Royal, but he would basically be redeeming himself from the last time he was a Joker where he won, he had all the momentum, and he lost to Jericho, and now he's been away. He's picked himself back up, wins the ladder match, and goes on to finally rewrite the wrongs a year on from when he lost to Omega. So it feels like the story beats are too perfect for it not to be him, even though it hasn't stopped yep. some people from teasing that it's going to be them, like Buddy Matthews, the former Buddy Murphy, tweeting out an image and then quickly deleting it of a Joker card, even though the story came out that apparently AW were not interested in signing him and that actually he was more likely to go to Impact. It could be a very interesting way for Buddy to get a bit of interest in his name, which, you know, fair play. That's what you do as a wrestler. Um, the fact that it's going to be in Philadelphia, which I hadn't actually realized, um, makes it even more likely. And I'd also say that AEW has proven that if you get your hopes up about something, they're not going to disappoint you. And if Paige doesn't win then that would be a case where it actually does happen. And the other element is that everyone else is almost sort of like perfectly placed in a different feud. If you look at the combatants involved, I mean, Matt Hardy and Orange Cassidy, obviously in a feud at the moment and will probably continue. Uh, You've got it that Andrade and Pac are currently in a feud that will probably continue. And even Moxley and Archer, to some degrees, are currently in a feud due to the uh, Suzuki Gun uh, affiliation. So, really, are any of them in the right place that they can move on from that feud and challenge for the AEW Championship? If it was going to be, it would either have to be Orange Cassidy, who's already challenged, John Moxley, who's already challenged, and Pac who has already challenged. 
all three of them have already had their opportunities. Then these would, the reason why I'm picking those three is because of the fact that they're the baby faces. The uh, likelihood of Kenny Omega defending at full gear against another heel, such as Andrade, Matt Hardy, or Lance Archer, does not make sense. So, technically, you have six wrestlers who are all capable of challenging in the main event and it being legitimate. And yet, it's probably the worst time for them to be challenging for the AEW Championship and being in the main event, which means it's perfectly primed for whoever the Joker is to come in and win. Yeah, because like the Joker is almost set up for someone to, to be a surprise that you're like either a return or somebody making their debut, as it has been for in the past. Because like when Hangman won originally, nobody thought he was going to be on Double or Nothing at all because his match with Pack had been cancelled, so nobody expected him to be there. Much like the Spanish Inquisition, nobody expected him. But, you know, they wouldn't have presented this as a casino ladder match with the propositions of a Joker if it wasn't going to be like the likes of a Hangman Page making his return because if it was just going to be like some other person on the roster, like a fill in the final spot, like some people think, oh, a Joker, it's going to be a Pentagon and his Joker gear. Like, if it was Pentagon, they just announced Pentagon. Why did he need a surprise to then bring out Penta, who doesn't mm-hmm. need a challenge for the world title when he's one half of the tag team champions? That's just doesn't make any sense. So, it feels like it's set up for something big and for that person to be the one to take it. And like you like said, it, it, it's really, it, it's at a point where even though it will be a good match, it doesn't feel like any of these guys can win other than Hangman Page. And I definitely think that you should open with the, the eight-man tag and then close with this for that closing pop of Hangman. And then maybe Kenny can come out onto the ramp and they can have a bit of a stare down uh, before they could pick it up on Rampage or the following week's Dynamite. But I know we've diverted quite far from the actual Grand Slam show itself, but on the following week's show, uh, even though I haven't seen the match, also it's a big thing that happened. Uh, Sammy Guevara was the one to the Spanish God defeated God's favorite champion, and the fact that he was in the home of Brody Lee, who AEW have called the greatest TNT champion, it kind of makes more sense. Even though I was kind of sad that uh, Miro's reigns ended like sooner than I thought it should, I thought he should have went to at least full gear. Uh, They've also already brought back the black fit strap belt as the white strap was kind of more a thing for Miro. And uh, something oh, I mentioned because quite exciting that on the anniversary edition this week, uh, he called his shot on uh, Twitter and he got answered and accepted. Bobby Fish is going to challenge Sammy Guevara for the TNT Championship. And I can't wait. Some people are saying for Bindor, some people are saying it isn't. Well, considering Bobby Fish is seemingly working with MLW now, he's Maybe part of their upcoming term in the Opera Cup, it's kind of Forbidden Door. But, you know, it's still a weird clash of deals with technical striker Bobby Fish against the high-flying Spanish god. So I'm, I I was surprised that Miro lost the championship, and I was also surprised it was to Sammy Guevara. I did think Sammy would win the title at some point, but I didn't feel it was then. So I was a bit surprised by... The result, the only thing that could possibly make help make it make sense to me is if Miro was going to be moved on to the main event scene or something like that. But it currently feels even less likely now because having Miro as the Joker, I don't think would work. But I I have a soft spot for Bobby Fish. I mean, I'm I'm a I'm a fan of every member of the Undisputed Era, basically. I think Kyle O'Reilly is tremendous fun. I think Adam Cole is an absolute 
wrestling prodigy so goddamn amazing and still surprisingly young roderick strong is one of those that's always been a um favorite of mine i was i was really glad when he became a part of undisputed era and i thought he was really underrated but bobby fish is probably the one who's the least appreciated because unfortunately his injuries have over um overtaken his actual ability as a wrestler and people probably forget that actually He's really fucking good in the ring. Um, mm-hmm. He is a proven champion, and he has a really good style that I feel could make that could really help make Sammy a babyface in peril. And I'm very curious to see how they do with it. Um, I think it could go really well. It could be a really good opportunity for Bobby Fish to remind people, actually, I'm really fucking good at what I do. Um, <laughs> and maybe start his own singles um, run. Because for the last like what, five years, maybe longer, he has been purely tag team. Even every other member of Undisputed Era was given opportunity as a singles wrestler. He was always the tag team guy. And I feel that really undervalues what he can bring to a match and i really hope he does tremendously well in this i, I do too yeah he, he is underrated single guy like even when he was part of red dragon he even got a run as the ring of honor tv champ for a while so he can go singles wise and yeah he did become the kind of forgotten undisputed era member so you know i think he was the one who's kind of gonna get, gonna get lost the most after this up. so maybe him coming out leaving WWE and getting released was maybe the best thing for him so now he can forge his his own path. Uh, even if this is just a one-off appearance, I think it's going to be a hell of a, a match. And the team detail is a great title for this, like bringing guys in from other promotions to kind of challenge for it. I, d- I just think the team detail, you know, the whole thing with the rankings, that sometimes you get teams that are probably like got more wins than you realise but aren't in the top five, like the gun club, as they keep pointing out themselves. But I don't think, I think the top five like rankings should only apply to the women's tag and world title. I don't think the team details should be included in the top five because it seems to be kind of the default like open challenge belt. So like it seems like everybody who gets a team title shot nowadays isn't even in the rankings or in this case isn't part of the company. So I really think like because they got that graphic of the the men's singles like top five and they got the picture of the TNT champ and the world champ. I just think they should take the TNT champ out of that and have the rankings not apply to that title. I can see it makes sense. Um, I understand it, but I do also feel that the rankings is too important. I'm one of those, I love the rankings. I I think it really adds to all the stories and it gives you, it gives you material to work with, even when there's, you don't have anything else. Um, And I think being able to have it that you can turn on and say, I'm going to challenge for the TNT Championship, and you've got the rankings to back it up. I, I do agree that the TNT Championship, to some degrees, is meant is sort of like the open challenge, but I just feel it, it having it involved in the actual ranking system as it is gives it that uh, legitimacy as well. The fact that if you're a top five contender, you could become a challenger for the TNT Championship. It it's treated just as importantly as all the other titles. It's not just the TV title. It's not just, oh, it's the United States title, which we only make important every 27 months or something like that. It matters. And every single person who's won the championship has been important. So 
I disagree with removing it from the rankings. I feel it's too vital and you could easily have it that if someone is doing very well in the rankings and they decide, you know, I want to go for the TNT championship, they have the legitimacy to back it up. Um, I would hate to see it removed for me personally. No, oh, it's just my kind of opinion. I just thought I did put it out there. It's like, especially when Corey had it, like he was bringing people in who were even contracted to fight for it. So I just, I felt like it made more sense to me. But uh, with back to Grand Slam, also after the, the the draw, we had a Punk promo where Punk, you know, he just a dollar. He'd gone from you know happy to be there, kind of Punk to a Punk that is now pissed off. And after he got attacked by Powerhouse Hall and put slammed on the announce table. And I think after, you know, the energy of, like, going through that, and being invested in a 30-minute match and then getting to see Punk, even if it's just for an Embering promo, I think for a brief point in the middle of the Dynamite Grand Slam, the crowd were taking a bit, there was a bit of a lull for me, and it took me a while to get back into the show. I was back into it by the main event, but, like, like Brian Pillman versus MJF just couldn't get into it. And especially with the result, given that yeah, MJ spent the last three weeks insulting uh, Feldman and his late father, doing his own version of like when Randy Orton said that Eddie was in hell by looking down and shouting at Pillman. And then uh, Pillman gets submitted, clean in the ring. And MJF immediately the next week moves into a feud with Darby Allen. So uh, what exactly did Brian Pillman Jr. get out of this? I think what... the positives for this, for me, is the fact that this this was the biggest uh, match that Brian Pillman Jr. has ever had, without question. And what he got was a rub from a bona fide superstar. And in those weeks where MJF focused on Brian Pillman Jr., I legitimately would say nobody has ever cared about Brian Pillman Jr. as much as they did because of MJF. Now, how Brian Pillman Jr. takes it and moves on from here is where the responsibility has to lie with him and see what he can do. But this, by the time he got to the match, fans were cheering him on. And I think sometimes it's very easy to go for the feel-good victory. Um, I, I'm sometimes guilty of it where I admit that I want uh, someone to win not necessarily because it makes sense, but because it would just be a feel-good victory. But this is MJF is one of those that he ruins feel-good moments. He is the best heel possible, and it's it, it's a responsibility being given to him, saying, "Let's see if you can elevate this star. Let's see if you can elevate this star." And that is an entrustment from backstage that MJF is now a bona fide superstar and doesn't need to be with the bigger stars to make a tremendous story. He doesn't need to be with a Jericho or Moxley or Cody Rhodes. He is now the Moxley or Jericho or Cody Rhodes. And they put the small, the younger, smaller um, individuals with him to learn, improve and go on to become bigger stars. So this was almost like a, a, what's what I'm looking for, an opportunity to see whether MJF could do it. And I think to some degrees, he put over Brian Pillman 
better than anyone else had at this stage. And sometimes you don't have to win in order to become bigger, better, more liked, etc. So I do feel there was a good point to it. I feel that both of them came out probably even better where Brian Pillman Jr. learned very well at um, from MJF on how to sell a story. And MJF came out looking like an even bigger douchebag than he already did. And he is now officially pretty much like public enemy number one. Mm-hmm. And for me, that works. I feel that it achieved what it had to. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I agree that obviously sometimes people can look a bit over better in defeat. But I just think like the last few weeks, like Pelman isn't the best on the mic. And so he kind of got outclassed very easily by MJF. And then like the way... It's a bit as clean as like an MJF win can be because it was Wardlow there and everything, but it's, it was very like quick how he, when he locked in the uh, salt of the earth, like armbar, and then Pillman had to do it. And then I mentioned the fact that he immediately moved into a thing with Darby, but yeah, at least I think it, was, it, kinda, it does give uh, Pillman a spot on this like big show, but it did feel to me more so a thing to help MJF like bounce back from the loss to Jericho. And also, what was interesting when he, and he's promoting the following week with their teasing where he was going to go next before Darby came out. The fans were loudly chanting CM Punk. So it feels like the the Derek Crowder saying to AEW, like, we're ready for Punk versus MGF. When are you going to give it to us? Uh, and I think it'll probably be after, I can see it as soon as the Punk win with Team Taz is done. Because I think even though he faced Hobbs on Rampage, I think they're going to keep it going. I actually think they're going to probably do Punk versus like Ricky Starks on at full gear because I think that would be a big deal for Ricky Starks rather than sitting with the FTW title that really means nothing uh, on Rampage uh, while he's feud with Brian Cage kind of grains to the halt because when there was last time Brian Cage was on TV so I think Punk versus Starks would be good before we go into Punk MJF because mm. I think MJF could actually be the person to give Punk his first loss and just dying on the heat for that for quite a while but also, the fact that, you know, uh, MJ tried to build the fact that, oh, you know, there's four main pillars. We are the four guys that are going to carry the, the company. It's going to be me, Sammy Guevara, I beat him. Jungle Boy, I beat him. I went Darby Allen, he quickly moved on. And then Darby said, like, yeah, but, you know, I've won a title and you haven't. And then one of the other four pillars on that same show, Sammy Guevara, won a title before MJF. So I think I think it was a nice all touch. I don't know if they meant that, but I thought it was nice. I am at the stage where I feel that nothing is done without having an extra meaning to it. I feel like ev- like pretty much everything AEW do has thought being put into it as to the long-term um, possibilities to it. So the fact that Darby <laughs> Allen mentioned that, and it's the same show as Sammy Guevara wins a title... I I could almost see it to some degrees that um, after MJF's feud with Darby Allen, you have MJF versus Jungle Boy, both battling one another to become the next challenger to the TNT Championship. Because and you can have that replay of that moment of where you had MJF saying that he's one of the four pillars, and now there's a possibility that. If Jungle Boy beats him and beats Sammy, he will be the only one of the four pillars not to have won a championship. And having all four of them do it with the TNT championship, I feel, could make even more sense. Because 
Sammy has had a feud with MJF, but never really finished the feud properly. Whereas you could have MJF win his first championship with the TNT championship after beating Jungle Boy for the opportunity and then have it that when MJF loses it, he loses it to Jungle Boy. So you have it that the TNT championship shows who are going to be the next big stars. If we take Cody out of it, and unfortunately, Brody Lee, who I think would have gone on to be challenging for the main championship at some point and could have even won it. Everyone involved in the TNT championship so far who has won the title is going to be going on to become a main eventer. There's no question about that. I cannot believe that any of, that any of them won't be. You have Darby Allen, Miro, Sammy Guevara, and it would make sense for it to next be MJF. It could actually work. And this would allow him to become a major part of the program as a champion, as almost like a dry one for when he becomes the AEW world champion. And this leaves the spots open for wrestlers such as Adam Page, CM Punk, Brian Danielson, Adam Cole, etc. The ones who are ready-made champions who can continue to hold the title at the same time. I think... It wouldn't surprise me if this goes on to make be more important by this time next year. I think I think the idea of like jungle by winning a title from NGF I think is the better option because I think you have an opportunity there to do kind of what NXT did with Sasha and Bailey. Mm-hmm. And on the surface of that may seem like a weird comparison, but hear me out. Part of the story to the Brooklyn match between Sasha and Bailey was the fact that obviously it's well, not all not all the other four horsemen had won the NXT Women's title because Becky hadn't also won it, but the fact that those three were chosen to go up to the main roster and Bailey wasn't, even though all four of them were you know, the four horsewomen, and the idea of Bailey being left behind and having to prove herself by going through Charlotte, Becky, before eventually beating Sasha. So the idea of like if MJF eventually wins his first title, like say it's the TNT title, and so three of the four pillars have won the TNT title and then it's just Jungle Boy because won a title yet, or like a single title, and then you can tell a story between MJF and Jungle Boy that MJF said, I thought you were going to be one of the four pillars alongside me and these guys, but you're not holding your weight. You've had all these opportunities. You've won the Casino Battle Royale. You've challenged for the, the TNT title, the World title, the Tag Team titles, and you've you've failed at every opportunity. Like, you don't, you're don't, you not the future of this company. You don't deserve to be because you keep failing and all that, and just really just bear on. Maybe he makes some insensitive comments, but he's dead, because that's what MJF wants to do, because... He said it implied that Darby Allen should have died in the car crash with his uncle, which ridiculous to the edge. Mm. He's getting to the point, MGF, he's gonna be like, Joey, you're so far past the line, you can't even see the line. The line is a dust to you. <laughs> so, and so eventually Jungle Boy has, does the as ends the story by I know eventually beating MGF, winning his first day on proving that he is he deserves to be called the future of AEW. Absolutely. That's what I could see happening. And that's why it wouldn't be surprised. It wouldn't surprise me if after MJF beats Darby Allen, he goes on to challenge Sammy Guevara for the title and beats him for it. And it would just work perfectly. And then you'd have these stories tying back because that's what AEW are so fucking good at. They are so fucking good at building back to the stories that had come previously. And that's why. I love seeing what they do on a weekly basis because I feel I'm being rewarded for caring and paying attention. Mm-hmm. I think as much as I didn't want Sammy to beat Miro now, 
I think he eventually did need to win something soon because in the inner circle, especially in the early days when they were heels, Sammy was the one in the group that took the fall usually in like a multi-man match. Like he took the fall in Stadium Stampede. And then when they turned face, you know, he was kind of there. He didn't get really an opportunity to probably beat MJF. He managed to be like Sean Spears and things like that. So I think he needed to win a title sooner rather than later. Uh, to really like, even though the inner circle are kind of going their separate ways, but technically are still the inner circle. He, he needed to win a big win eventually. And he's promised to buy Fuego a new car after, you know, beat him for it. Uh, but uh, also, I, mean, uh, I know you have not seen all of Rampage, but also later on that show you had uh, Proud and Powerful teaming with the Lucha Brothers. Uh, do you think this is the, the eventual beginnings of, you know, the eventually that Proud and Powerful challenge Lucha Brothers and maybe finally win the tag titles? Because I know a lot of people who are fans of EW have been saying, why aren't uh, Proud and Powerful, why haven't they been in a more opportunity or why haven't they won the tag team titles yet? Um, absolutely. I feel that Pride and Powerful have done tremendous work. Um, they've been consistently reliable. Um, the fact that they have featured in some of the best matches, including the um, uh, parking lot ball with uh, best friends, I feel has been AEW trying to keep them heavily involved whilst keeping them away from the tag team title scene because of the fact they wanted to build up to this. Because you know, Lucha Brothers and um, Pride, um, Pride and Powerful have some amazing matches in Impact, some vastly mm-hmm. underappreciated matches because they were stealing the pay-per-view every single time these two, these two teams battled one another. And because of that, I feel it makes perfect sense that they've been kept separate and this would be around about the time when they start coming back in and challenging. And I feel um, Pride and Powerful would be a really good um, choice for winning the AEW Tag Team Championships. I don't know if they'd win it yet. Feels I don't know whether it would make sense for Lucha Brothers to lose it so quickly. Um, the only way that would probably work for me is if Andrade was to interfere to some degrees but then that's something they usually try to avoid so that would surprise me but i do feel that they are being primed for taking that position soon yeah uh, one thing i saw which i wouldn't mind is uh given also they're new york you know they're originally from new york brown powerful so at least they got in the rampage section of a grand slam uh in their hometown so the fact that they're, i mentioned before they're going back to long island in early december some people said maybe they'll win the titles on that December episode in Long Island, and so at least they are in New York. And so I wouldn't mind that happening. I know some people might say it's a bit soon for Lucha Brothers titles, but it means they would have carried them from September to December. So that's at least a few months when they'll have a probably a successful, at least a one successful period defense in there. They've already defended them again on Rampage against Butcher and Blade, you know. And something it's very rare that you have a short title wins, but at least they've it's what you do in that title win that matters because like. FTR only held the belts from like all out to full gear, but they had some good matches in between, and also they got to have a match with the Young Bucks as part of it. So mm. as long as as long as what they do with MGF before, is what they do with Lucha Brothers before that match with Brown Furful that really matters, which may make people think, well, soon I wanted to be, but it was still a good reign. Well, funny you say that. I was just looking at because um, I had a sudden theory that I wanted to double check, and it turns out that. 
SoCal Uncensored and FTR both held the championships for less than 90 days. In fact, FTR held it the shortest so far with just 63 days. But the teams that beat them for the championship, uh, Kenny Omega and Adam Page, and then the Young Bucks, they held the titles for at least 200 plus days. So, so far, the first, third, and fifth, if Lucha Bros were to lose the title soon, um, champions hold the titles for about six, uh, 60-odd to 80-odd days. And then the teams that beat them hold it for even longer. So the question is whether or not they're going to keep this sort of routine or um, symmetry that seems to have occurred, that the odd teams have it that they lose it in less than 100 days and the even teams hold it for even longer. So I'm very curious now even more. It is pos- It is even more possible that the Lucha Brothers could lose it relatively quickly. What it basically is, is that we're so used to the title reigns from Omega and Page and the Young Bucks, which were which would cover the majority of their months near enough, uh, their year even, that is almost a shock when someone loses the title quickly. But that's actually really good booking. Yeah. Uh, uh, some quick calculations there because I'll say it was September 5th uh, all out where the Spurs would have won if they lose at the show like I said might might happen even if it's not guaranteed it would happen but they would have been uh, just shy of 100 days like and we're 95, 96 odd days uh, if my quick maths is right and I don't think it was but they would be just shy of 100 days if they did lose there but you know I think it goes even though Power and Powerful haven't been the most featured no in quite a while, like since like the, I think probably since uh, Stadium Stampede Two, uh, it shows that there's a lot got a growing fan base that want to see them be more featured, and that's always a good thing. Uh, yeah, I agree with you with the match impact. If anyone hasn't seen it, uh, I believe it was LAX's final. I believe it was Lucha's final match, and and Impact Wrestling was a full Metal Mayhem match where they dropped the tag titles back to then known as LAX, Perd and Powerful, uh, and per, uh, LAX would only hold the titles for a few more months before losing to the North and eventually making their own way over to AEW, but you know, and the North, by the way, is a funny thing, because I think a lot of people thought Ethan Page was going to be a bigger star out of him and George Alexander, and since he's come over to AEW, he's went to another tag team, seems to be a bunch of MMA lads, all his partners went on the run of his life and is about to become the world champion. It's... (laughs) It's kind of funny the way that that's worked out, actually. Um, I I think even even Page is one of those that basically, it doesn't matter what he does, he gets your attention. Um, and I think him in a team with Scorpio Sky, I thought was a very was a very interesting choice, and was a case of them trying to find support and be able to have someone to have their back because of the fact that they were attacking people, they needed to have someone who can um, help them if need be. But for me, I'm one of those that I don't like their partnership with Dan Lambert. It, I know some people do. They think Dan Lambert is fantastic. It's tremendous heat, uh, which fair enough. It's relatively true, but I don't care about Dan Lambert. I don't care about America top team. I don't care about 
this crossover. I care about wrestling crossover, not mixed martial arts or fucking hockey or whatever it is that Dan Lambert did. I don't know. I just, these aren't elements that matter to me. And also I don't think they're needed. You're talking about one of the best trash talkers in the business in Ethan page. And then you've got a slightly different style, but actually really good at promos in Scorpio sky. He was a little bit more measured and fought for in his style. And these two don't need someone to talk for them. And that frustrates me because I could see these two doing tremendous work. And instead I'm having it that they're the only time that I want to skip on a show of dynamite or rampage because Dan Lambert comes out and it's just not for me. I just don't care about Dan Lambert. He could be the best talker in the world. Doesn't matter. I don't think he's needed. I think he's a, he's a, he's not actually helping. And I feel that sky and page are going to end up getting more damaged because of it. And that frustrates me so damn much. Yeah. I, I'll, I'll go say that their match with Jericho and Hager uh, against many years, I think that was my least favorite match on Rampage, and then you had a bunch of MMA guys coming out. Ramp, uh, Silver tells us all their names, I immediately forgot them. Just couldn't give a shit. <laughs> I, I think they were fun before they had the old thing with Dan Lambert. I don't think it, they need that. They're both good enough to talk for themselves. And it doesn't make really that much sense with Dan Lambert's whole thing, all these new generation of wrestlers, these millennials, these guys who aren't tough and everything like yeah i'm pretty sure ethan page hasn't mentioned the fact that he does vlogs where he needs pals to go hunting for vintage toys and he's got a bunch of toys in one of his one of the rooms he says and how many power rangers he is so i'm sure Ethan page has kept that to himself otherwise dan lambert would have had his mma pals batter him but like they talk about all these new generation of wrestlers in AEW, they're not tough and everything so who comes out to defend the you know this new generation of wrestlers in AEW? late 30s uh, Jake Hager and 50-year-old Chris Jericho, because that makes sense because because Chris Jericho does that too the fact he trained in Dave Bautista's gym for a few months, he thinks he's tougher than he actually is <laughs> it, it is a surprising choice of uh, defending uh, the young, young stars, the only thing I feel that could explain it is that Jericho and Hager can afford to take the losses against Sky and Paige who both need victories in order to start getting back into the game and being noticed. But the way it's going about, it just it's one of the few things with AEW that I'm not enjoying. And that is not because I think that they're bad wrestlers or anything like that. It's because of the involvement of America Top Team, who I just, like I said, I just don't care about. And that's the worst thing. If you have it that I'm watching wrestling and I'm going, I don't care, then you've done something wrong. Yeah. And that's where they need to fix it. Yeah, uh, definitely. So I think, like, because AEW does have a lot more goodwill with its fans, and fans are a lot more willing to trust AEW these days when something comes up that's questionable. But I think things like this that don't make sense or that you can't really get invested in, they stand out more in a show like AEW because of the quality of other things we talked about, like the Brian thing, the punk stuff, and you know other aspects like that. So going back to something that we do care about, the main event of Dynamite Grand Slam, Ruby Soho versus Dr. Britt Baker, DMD. 
uh, again, I was so happy that the women got to to main event. And, you know, I think it's good to show how much faith Ruby So has in, like, AEW, because, like, also, she got to win the Cenobar Royal her first night. But she had to know that it was probably unlikely that she was going to come in and they were going to put the belt on her, but she still... Like, obviously, she's just so happy to be back and actually doing something of note again that she didn't mind, obviously, losing. And also, there's always rumours of a, a secondary belt for the women, which I actually think Ruby Zoho could be a front runner to be the first holder of, if that isn't keep the deed true. But I was I, I enjoyed it. Just, they went, let them go out there, gave them enough time, and they put on a hell of a match. And it's weird because I'm too used to a heel winning on an AEW show and then something big happens at the end. So I was a bit taken aback when D- when uh, Dr. Britt Baker won and the show just closed with her pose and nothing big happened at the end. No future challenger was set. I was like, ah, oh, the show just ended. Weird, I'm not used to that. <laughs> um, I think it's um, it's a show of the fact that, well, the only people, the people that Britt Baker has backing her are the ones who are already at wing size. And also I feel that the, the line between face and heel for... Uh, Britt Baker is become is definitely becoming um, less apparent. She is she's obviously extremely popular, which she she ha- deserves to be because she's been absolutely fantastic. Um, I was impressed about the fact that she actually got a clean victory, a relatively clean victory actually, which I wasn't expecting because she hasn't really had many clean victories. And this could actually be one of the matches that best helps make Britt Baker look more legitimate as a women's champion. Um, I would be curious to see where Ruby Soho goes from here um, because the fans have obviously connected to her already. I don't know about a singles extra belt for the women's division. I feel it would make more sense if they actually had a AEW women's tag team. Um, I feel that even though I don't like it for WWE, because I don't think they have the actual teams or roster to do so, I feel AEW do just does, does to some degree. You could have um, Diamante and Kira Hogan. You can have Anna Jay and Tay Conte. You can have um, Penelope Ford and um, the Bunny. You can have Red Velvet and Brandy when she comes back. You can have Jade Cargo. I do not want Brandy Rhodes anywhere near a fucking title. (laughs) (laughs) Well, supposedly she recently came out and said that um, having her daughter has inspired her to try and and win a championship. And I'm like, Right, it, if if they're gonna do that, then I'd rather it was the it was a women's tag team championship as opposed to the main championship for the AEW women. Um, and I feel that it would be a re and even like Jamie Hater and Rebel to some degrees could become a really good tag team. And I think it's it would be a very good way of continuing the relationships that are developing in the women's division where wrestlers are working together and becoming friends, etc. But also there's a lot of the AEW women's roster who are still learning to some degrees, who aren't as strong as say. Britt Baker, Thunder Rosa, Ruby Soho, etc. So they do. So they almost need that bit of support. So having them in a tag team uh, would actually allow the women's division to be appearing more often, um, more members of the division appearing, and also in a way that 
um, that um, accentuates their strengths and hides any negatives so they can continue to learn. And you can create really good veteran and uh, rookie relationships that will help build it up. And also it creates a tie-in with NWA who have uh, have their own as well and also impact. So I feel that it makes more sense than a, like a AW women's TNT championship. I think an AW women's tag team championship makes more sense. Yeah. I think the rumor was because they're moving on to TBS next year that that was going to be called the TBS title because <laughs> the TNT title is apparently not changing even when they go over there. Uh, but yeah, I think I can see your reasons for that. But that Randy thing reminded me. Maybe I tried to forget it because I tried to forget anything that revolves her husband. But uh, the clash that we've all been waiting for finally happened a few weeks ago. Yes, that's right. The evil, sinister Malachi Black came up face to face with Ahsoka Tano herself, Rizharko Dawson, randomly on a segment of day because that woman she dared to wear a nightmare family hoodie. Well, bring back hanging, I say. But uh, that led to Cody and his nice suit with a weird, weirdly extended brawl, so you could come out. And I was, I couldn't get into, the, well, I couldn't get into the start of their match at, at Grand Slam because I thought, on oh, was we're playing my head is he's going to come back, he's going to beat him, he's going to ruin Malachi Black's push, he's going, and then Malachi thankfully beat him using the old Tajiri method of uh, the mist to the face, and then the following week Cody got called a loser by Arn Anderson. He got a promo about how he would shoot a guy if he tried to steal his car. And then Lee Johnson buggered off and went with him. <laughs> uh, it's, it's amazing when the um, best part about Cody Rhodes at the moment is Arn Anderson um, uh, basically shooting on him to some degrees. It's, it's ridiculous. It is meme-worthy and absolutely fantastic. But there was a slight bit of worry, I have to admit, that... Cody was coming back to get his victory back and he didn't need it. He, it would make no sense. And quite frankly, Malachi black is too strong and too perfectly placed at the moment to lose such a match. It would actually be more detrimental long-term. So I'm actually quite happy that Malachi black won the second match and can move on and can actually just go, do you know what? I'll beat him twice. Who cares? And move on and do something else because Malachi Black is so damn good. And I cannot wait to see what he can possibly do with others. And I just, I, he's got the victories he needs now. He looks legitimate and he is so fucking good at it. And I'm just like, I just want to see him kick the crap out of people. And I actually have just come up with a really interesting option of someone who I think I'd love to see him wrestle, right? Mm I'm going to throw this out here and have a think about it because of how vicious Malachi Black is and how good this opponent is at selling and putting over his opponent. Malachi Black versus Eddie Kingston. Ooh. All right. Can you imagine how well um, Eddie Kingston could put over Malachi Black? Because he's the battler. He's the one who keeps on fighting, even when it seems like he can't. And then if he put, if he gets hit with that black mass and just completely crumples, 
if that can beat someone like Eddie Kingston, it just continues making it look even better. And Eddie Kingston is such a good seller that every single hit you get, he would just make look fucking go dust. And I would love to see that. Just love to see Malachi Black kick him into oblivion, basically. Yeah. I, I'm trying to think what promotion was. I saw a clip. It was a thing between him to where Eddie Kingston and Apple kept calling uh, Black uh, Tommy Boy, whoever. He, I can't remember what promotion they were both in. I've seen that in. Oh, I, was I, it Progress? Was it Progress? Possibly, yeah. I, I, I was going to say that or Evolve or whatever, because I'm pretty sure they've wrestled in a lot of similar promotions. Mm. But, so, yeah, I would definitely love to see that. There was a member years ago I made a, a list. It wasn't for anywhere, but it was just for my own amusement. I like dream matches that I knew probably would never happen, but I would have loved to have seen. And one of them I actually wrote down can actually happen now. Because, like, Black, one of the downsides of his run so far is he hasn't wrestled anyone outside of the whole you know, as Stephen Larson have called it, Cody Island. The whole, like, he's always been, he's beat Cody, then fought members of the Nightmare family, and then beat Cody again. So, he could have some non-Cody opponents for him. And what, so, the match I wrote down was him against CM Punk. Mainly because they both had a lot of tattoos and like to kick people. But, you know, they can build on a few more than that. <laughs> so... We don't need anything more. I accept that. You've already convinced me. I want to see it happen. Yeah, if it's not MJF after the whole team test thing, I'd happily take it as Malachi Black versus Punk if that is entirely possible. And uh, Cody, I'm hoping this is the sign that he's going to eventually turn heel at some point because like, the crowd were loudly booing him during the match against Black. They were booing him when he started his promo before Arn interrupted him. And they cheered. I don't know if it's cause, like, because it's New York or... Part of me thinks it's because America and how funny they are with guns. The fact that the biggest pop in that saying with Arn is when Arn said the words, I would pull out my Glock, and that's got the biggest pop of the night. Well, not the night, but that segment. <laughs> it's him just mentioning a gun, like, yay, I have a gun at home. <laughs> I don't He's know how just like this. me. I also cannot wrestle and need to defend myself with weapons. <laughs> like, he, he, he definitely needs to turn heel. I'm my brother... And I were talking about it. He better described it as uh, like Cody's so in touch. He's got his fingers on the pulse when it comes to like when he's working with other people and uh, you know, what what other people should kind of do. But he's so out of touch when it comes to his own booking. Yeah, it's weird. He 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 is fantastic at seeming to get what people want. His storytelling is usually fantastic. His understanding of getting people invested is fantastic but he has a blind spot to some degrees to the fact that his stories are starting to alienate people because i feel that i still think he's good at what he does it's just that it's becoming repetitive to some degrees and it's no longer as impressive because of the fact that they have other people who are just as good at it um telling a story in the ring they've now got cm punk brian danielson and christian who is one of the most underrated when it comes to telling a story someone who has like um, a really eye-popping fantastic entrance they've got malachi black who comes out looking like the most dangerous creature in the fucking world it's ridiculous um 
they've got the um uh there's just so many elements now that other people are probably doing better and the strengths that you once had in order in getting people's attention no longer going to work as much because other people are better at it and he needs to start maybe re-looking at elements that he could change in order to be more attached to the audience because at the moment if there's any segment you're likely to be a little bit about that isn't Dan Lambert it will be Cody because you're just waiting for something to happen and it says and it really does say a lot when Cody Rose comes back and instead of being excited about it we're just waiting for the seemingly inevitable that he's going to uh, defeat Malachi Black and that's not what you should want in your baby face Mm -hmm. yeah Uh, don't know about AEW, I've got one more point in AEW related before we kind of wrap up, but I know you've not seen as much of, of Rampage as I have, uh, of the Rampage grandson that is, and uh, we'll probably get you, have you talk about it in more detail next time we get together with uh, Reen and Sammy and we'll hear about their thoughts on some of the stuff that we've talked about, because I'm sure Reen will be on Twitch just in his pants when Rampage comes back. But is there anything of Rampage that you have seen that you do want to talk about before I go on to my final point? Um, trying to have a brief think. Um, I will say that one of the things that I'm absolutely loving um, is Adam Cole's continual use of uh, uh, "Who's ready for story time with Adam Cole, baby?" It just like <laughs> that, like smarmy, sneering element to him. It just makes him so fucking good at having people pissed off at him. Um, Minoru Suzuki has been an absolute highlight. I love having him involved. And um, the fact that they continue the storyline with him and turned the Suzuki incident into an actual storyline shows how well this company has their finger on the pulse. Um, I just, I'm loving watching all of it in that there's something in it for everyone. But I'll let you go on to the major point that you want to discuss now. Yeah, I thought it'd be a nice thing to kind of uh, close on. The announcement of the partnership between uh, the Owen Hart Foundation and AEW, and you know, like AEW will be helping support the Owen Hart Foundation, and and in turn, there's going to be uh, the Owen Hart annual Owen Hart uh, Cup, as well as the potential of uh, AEW producing merchandise with Owen Hart's likeness, likeness and potential use of Owen Hart in the Owen in the upcoming AEW console game. Which I think would be pretty cool because actually, I think about the amount of legends they've got. Working with them like uh, Tully Blanchard, Sting, Jake Roberts, people like that. You can have a whole like Legends DLC pack, including Owen, of like Red Legends that you can play as a mix. They have them mix up with the current guys. But the idea of seeing Owen in a game is quite exciting because I believe someone pointed out online there was WAF Attitude for the, uh, the N64 was the last time Owen Hart was featured in a video game of any kind. Uh, and the idea of the Own Heart Cup as well. The uh, I love a good tournament, me. So, can I see this kind of annual tournament dedicated to somebody as as well loved as Owen Hart? Uh, I'm very like my friend Paul, who I talk mostly about Impact with uh, in terms of wrestling. Uh, I do a Scott Bogdan podcast, but he's not really into AEW. But even he heard the news, and he's very excited about this. I think that 
what AEW has shown. And it's something that's come up in mention when um, talking to individuals like CM Punk um, about why he joined AEW and that sort of thing. Um, the way that Tony Khan and AEW as a company and as a family have been supportive uh, after Brody Lee's untimely death, um, I think has really made a positive impact in terms of truly appreciating the legacy of what he had done and not, I, I still, I still feel to, to every degree that AEW has never taken advantage or, um, used Brody's death in manner that WWE had previously with like, say Eddie Guerrero or people like that, where they just use it to get cheap heat and that sort of thing. They've used it to honor that person. And, I don't think there's ever been an issue for Martha Hart, uh, Owen's wife, about having um, Owen with a legacy. I think her main issue has always been with the fact that the com- the only company that could supposedly give him a legacy were the ones who killed him. Mm-hmm. Which they, they, it is unfortunate that they didn't murder him, but what they did was that they put him in a situation where he died. And it was because of them forcing him into doing something he didn't want to do. So I could understand completely why for so long Martha would have been reluctant to get involved. And I wouldn't be surprised if Mark Henry had a lot to do with this. Cause he's always been very big on charity legacy getting people involved the public etc and owen hart has been one of those that's always made uh, mattered a lot to him uh, even though in his own hall of fame induction he was asking if owen could be inducted uh into the hall of fame because he wanted owen to be remembered and this is a way that years after all of those who watched Owen and would have learned from him and been inspired by him are now wrestling on a regular basis, are main parts of the actual business. So it's there's no better time than ever for them to actually give Owen the recognition that he deserves for the tremendous work that he put in and having a trophy dedicated to him, having a charity organized, having um, him appear in games, I feel really gives you a positive feeling in terms of there's so much about wrestling that can sometimes get you down or depress you or let you down. But this is, this feels very pure. Mm -hmm. It's pure in terms of wanting to give attention and legacy to someone who deserved it and unfortunately never got to have the opportunity to be appreciated for what he contributed to the business and i i just think it's tremendous and i'm really happy that they've come to this and i'm i'm excited to see the owen tournament i'm excited to see about what they'll do with the charity i'm excited to see Owen Hart appearing in an AEW game where you can have him versus Jungle Boy or him versus uh, Darby Allen or even have like, can you imagine if you could do a tag team of Brett and Owen Hart against like say FTR or Mm -hmm. something like that and the excitement that you can actually have and those who don't know about him getting the opportunity to learn about him, which he deserves. So 
I have no issues whatsoever with it. I think it's absolutely fantastic. And it's one of those that I feel makes you happy about being a wrestling wrestling fan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, it's a great way to honor how I many you know, like WWE did it with NXT and the Dusty Classic, which is kind of staple for them. And to have uh, AEW to have its own staple kind of tournament would be really cool. Uh, Farmer wants to see kind of an advert for the upcoming game where you've like got Jericho playing as himself against Owen Hart because Jericho talked a lot about when he came to WWE in 99 when he, he knew he was coming over the, the person at the top of his list from a face was Owen and how Owen was one of the few people he looked up to he didn't get to wrestle uh, because Owen died only a few months before he got to WWE so in terms of saying back and finally have that match I always wanted but in an AEW game and yeah, like the dark side of the ring really showed that anybody who's still wondering as to why Martha wouldn't allow him to be in the Hall of Fame or the own family wouldn't allow him in the Hall of Fame. I think that dark side of the ring officially cleared up and I think you should all just stop asking, stop talking about it now and just kind of move on. You mentioned the Brody Lee thing. I think that I wouldn't be surprised if that did have an impact on it with how they handled you know, his death with respect and everything because Punk even said that you know he felt... Uh, like reassured and it's a great AEW when he saw the Brody Lee tribute show and how all these people kind of came together in this kind of pure like moment of like just respect for somebody that they all looked up to and also it gives you all these possibilities of who could win it because I don't think they've ever actually announced who's like when it's going to happen if it's going to be sometime this year if they're going to wait till sometime next year because there's all sorts of routes you could go with this you could have buddy Brian Pillman win it for the sentimental pick because you know, his father, Brian Pound, was in, in with Owen in the Heart Foundation. But people always think when Kevin Owens' uh, contract runs, that he'll come and win the first tournament because one of his favourites is Owen Hart, and the reason his son's called Owen is because of Owen Hart. And uh, someone actually, I wouldn't mind winning it. You know, I'm 90% sure Babyface should win the first tournament, you know, for the pop, and then afterwards you can give it to a heel. If you're going to have a heel win the first tournament, I actually wouldn't mind Adam Cole winning it. Because I think you can see certain aspects of Neil Owen Hart and Adam Cole's character. And that he's brash, he'll like, throw his hands up in the air, do the baby kind of like Owen used to do the hands and go, whoa, I did it. And But they're also, they were both not afraid to kind of make themselves look a bit silly. I think those are three really good choices. Um, I think that if you're going to have a heel, I'd much rather... It be someone like Adam Cole, then, like as much as I love him, I don't think MJF would be a good choice for this because I think it would like give it an uh, a disappointing air to it. The yeah. the uh, the Owen tournament sort of has to be all about, I think, putting forward great stars who embody what Owen represented i think that's going to be one of the major things is that those who win it um probably would be more like Brody lee figures who backstage were absolutely beloved for the tremendous support and kindness that they that they exhibited but we just but in the ring could be babyface heel high flyer technical etc i think this may who the people they choose to win it could be very interesting. So Adam Cole might win it because he's known for being absolutely wonderful backstage and people love him. Weist also playing the heel similar to Owen Hart. I feel that 
you can have a tremendous technical wrestler. I could, I could see it being something that Brian Danielson would be quite honored to have and could suit him or maybe more like a Daniel Garcia, uh, who has that technical style. That's very similar. Um, even maybe like a young heart who joins the business. I don't know, but it's, it's not like that's going to be a trophy that probably is never about, um, becoming the number one contender or winning a championship. It's, it's going to be about representing what Owen meant to the business. And that was someone who was good at what they did, but was loved backstage and loved their family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm very excited to hear more, but it's all we've got really is a statement that was put out over EW's like social media. No further details on like, we don't know when the EW games, cause I think it's maybe coming out sometime next year, but you know, video games can always be delayed or pushed back. And, We'll stay tuned, but I'll definitely be interested in getting an Owen Hart like T-shirt, a like tight AWF one comes out. But Sam, you know it's been nearly two hours, and uh, all the time you know getting to talk about this with you. But uh, if people can't get enough of you somehow, and I don't know why they would, but they want to hear you maybe either audio-wise or or read the words that you've written. Where might they find that? Uh, so at the moment, I've returned to appearing at cultured vultures i'm currently uh, celebrating the october um possibilities because i love halloween and horror movies so at the moment we're doing quite a few on that where i'm looking to do a ranking of the conjuring universe um which is very interesting because w- what i think is going to be number one pick is actually one of my favorite horror films uh which could be interesting to hear from other people i'm doing a ranking of john carpenter horror movies who again is one of my favorite ever talents um and who i am looking forward to discuss in detail i'm doing a current ranking series of the hatchet universe which i think is one of the most underrated horror franchises and is tremendous fun to watch especially with tony todd danielle harris and kane hodder who is Definitely the best Jason Voorhees of all, t- of all time. I don't care that he appears in the worst movies. He is the best <laughs> Jason Voorhees you'll ever get. Um, I also do, I've also got two retrospectives coming out on uh, Cultured Vultures. One looking at Saw 3, uh, which I feel has some interesting themes, not only in the film itself, but also the original trilogy. So hopefully, um, People might be surprised at what I discuss and would be curious to discuss. Uh, And the other one is what I feel is another underrated horror movie, which is Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon. Uh, uh, A horror movie that I think is absolutely brilliant. Um, A really good um, spiritual sequel to the Scream series, but also a wonderful spiritual prequel to The Cabin in the Woods. Uh, I also have it that I'm currently on WrestleJoy. I have one of my Shinsuke Nakamura um, articles coming out soon, which is about uh, his IWGP Intercontinental Championship reign, uh, which was also similarly treated to the TNT Championship and made to feel like the biggest thing possible. Uh, But I've also discussed two other things. One, um, the possible trilogy between Kenny Omega and Brian Danielson and why I think they may create the most unique trilogy in wrestling possible. 
nice little uh, teaser there. And finally, also an all elite network, which I would love to have feature and included. Um, so I've got quite a few articles coming out, and I'm pretty sure I'll talk about some things on some podcasts at some point. But I'll, I'll allow you to sell how interesting a person I am. Go ahead. Uh, and if you still can't get enough of it, Sam, and want to follow all the updates on when the articles are coming out, I'm pretty sure he's on Twitter, at Big Bad Bruce. You can keep up with me, at Scott McLeod, 1996. Here on uh, Rogue Opinions, uh, me and Sam do the Rogue Smart interview and sometime this week we're going to get together and record Backlash 2000 alongside my good friend Carl Pierce. He and I are going through the Bad Batch uh, show on our, on our show, Podding Ain't Easy. Uh, as we prepare for some of the Marvel and Star Wars that are coming out later this year, we're going to have a bunch of that kind of content if you're into all that over on Podding Ain't Easy. Nathan and I made up drinking rules for each other as we talked about extreme rules. Uh, so if you're into that and want to know what weird things came out of that man's head uh, I'll check it because I was really unprepared for what he had in store uh, in terms of writing I already mentioned I teased like, I'm hoping to get it done soon because obviously the tournament start I think this Friday uh, my top 5 candidates and for the Queen's Crown winner or Queen of the Ring and my top 5 candidates for King of the Ring as an article I've also been playing with some other ideas I'm there's a show I do over on Scott Paul's Round Pod, which is Scott and Paul's Round Podcast, which is now part of the Rogue Opinions feed, where we do a series called In Your Gaff, which is a series where we go through all of the In Your House, In Your House podcast. A series where we go through all the In Your House pay-per-views. I'm wondering because I tied in a, an article I did for with SmackDown. I wonder if we should tie in with that and start doing a ranking of all the In Your Houses from like a particular year. So like we're in the middle of '96, so maybe I'm thinking should I go back and rank all the 95 uh, in your houses from worst to best and then do the same with 96 and 97. Now let me know if, if you guys would be interested in something like that because uh, oh lord there's some bad stuff in 95. <laughs> the, everything is bad in 95 let's be honest so <laughs> it's not really a surprise you poor bastard having to sit through that shit. <laughs> so speaking of Scott Paul Ram podcast uh, talking about retrospectives we are going to have a retrospective out in the next year or so on the WWF Light Heavyweight Championship. The Haven't Forgotten Light Heavyweight Championship. Uh, we, we we look at that, and speaking of In Your Gaff and Owen Hart, Owen features in the main event of the upcoming In Your Gaff we're going to have uh, sometime next week, which is In Your House 9 International Incident, uh, which actually might be the best In Your House we've talked about so far, in my opinion. Uh, and that's not just a one-match card, unlike most of the other ones. So... Stay tuned for that. We're also working on some stuff. Uh, we're going to do some. In- we do impact over there. Uh, we're also working on a series because we love Frasier. We've worked on a kind of a spin-off series to that where we're going to look at every so often we look at something that one of the main Frasier actors has done outside of Frasier and review that. Like something they're involved in. We're thinking of starting it with that episode of uh, episode of The Simpsons where David Hyde Pierce appears as uh, Cecil, the uh, brother to the girl with character sideshow bob so uh we've no idea what we're going to name that series but uh we're going through some name ideas so a lot of stuff happening over there uh also you may know i, I talk about each each every so often the one thing i'm gonna a couple of things i'm gonna plug from this is uh next week i'm going to be hosting their next feature show which will be all about the career of one randall keith orton the man who has one of my favorite all-time finishers 
And uh, this Saturday, I like, talked about how I love a draft. I'm involved in a fantasy draft over with the guys ESR, and I do a show where we analyse our draft standings, uh, a show called Saturday Draft Live. And this coming Saturday, we are have the 100th episode of Saturday Draft Live. Uh, myself and the other key hosts are going to be talking about our favourite moments of the show, uh, as well as all the usual draft stuff. So I, I wouldn't recommend if you haven't seen any of Saturday Draft Live to jump on episode 100. If you're feeling frisky, on you go and jump in at episode 100 and then start again from the beginning because it's a hell of a ride. It's one of my favourite things I do over at ESSR. So yeah, me and Sam, very busy boys. We don't have time for sleep. What's sleep? What is this sleep? <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to go and try and get some, maybe. Uh, but thank you for listening to our, our grapple updates. We'll be back eventually. And hopefully, Rian and Sam will join us next time we choose to talk about AEW. And you know, we're going to get this out before Wednesday. And hopefully, you know, we don't look like idiots when we talked about how much it makes sense for Adam Page to be the Joker and it turns out to be somebody else. But considering what we finished talking about, I think we're going to play us out with the, the theme song of The King of Hearts, one Owen Hart. Well, enough is enough. And now it's time to go Doom! Well, enough is enough, and it's time for a change! Come and take your best shot! I tried to be a nice guy. I tried to play by the rules. Turn your backs on me!